Welcome to the MMA Geek C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with my friend and co-host, Nick Braccia. We're here to talk about UFC and ESPN Plus 23 coming up this weekend in which Frankie Edgar faces the Korean Zombie. And we're going to talk about UFC 245 that took place this past weekend. A pretty big card in which we saw Kumaru Usman and Amanda Nunes retain their welterweight and bantamweight titles respectively. And we saw the end of the blessed era as Max Holloway gave up the featherweight title to Alexander Volkanovsky. Nick, how are you, buddy? Yeah, man, it was a, one of the, you know, it was one of the only a handful of cards this year from that from the early prelims all the way up through the main event. And it ended at about 2 a.m., if I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I was dragging ass by the end of it. But a, uh, a really exciting night of super, super high-quality fighters uh, and great performances. And a lot of... Uh, a lot of good stories there. Not not too much uh, for fight fans uh, to be bummed about. So uh, I mean, I'm a little bummed because I was I was three and three uh, in our picks. Um, although my overall night was eight and five of people who I thought would win versus lose. But in our our little game, I was three and three. So you know, congratulations to you for picking up another well earned victory. Nick, the king is back. It's good to be on the winning track again. You know, things didn't seem right for a little while there. Things didn't feel good, and everything feels right in the world now. I won my five to your three. Uh, I only got one wrong pick on my list, and that was Caitlin Vera, who lost by knockout to Arena Aldana. So once again, Nick, all feels well in the world once again. Yeah, except for global warming, but okay. Even global warming doesn't feel as bad as it once did, Nick. Yeah. It, it actually feels like things are going to be okay all of a sudden now that I'm back on the winning track. It, it just all feels really in place again. As a matter of fact, I think I was the first person to pick Volkanovski. I, I've had a really hard time finding other MMA uh, odds makers, MMA experts, MMA journalists who picked Volkanovski. Did you pick Volkanovski as well? We were on the same page with me on that one, Nick. Yeah, we both picked Volkanovski. The founder of the company I worked at placed a bunch of money on Volkanovski. He's a wrestler, uh, former college, uh, former college wrestler, and um, he also put, he put money on and won a bunch of money. Well, your boss must be taking his betting cues, Nick, from yours truly, from this podcast. Does he, in fact, give us uh, the proper listen that we deserve? I don't know if he listened to that one, um, but he's he's listened he's listened before. The um, so let's okay let's let's run down the fights a little bit, okay? So Usman Covington, yeah, I wasn't very um, excited with the yes, I was at the you know edge of my seat mostly because I hate Colby Covington. I don't like his shtick, even if it is just his shtick. Uh, I think he's a scumbag. I wanted to see him get hurt. Um, so the ending was just desserts and super poetic. Uh, you can't write a story. You can't write something better than him having to get his jaw wired shut. If that is indeed what you do to a uh, non-displaced hairline fracture of the mandible, um, the fight itself. I was really curious to see the wrestling. You've got you know if you get two uh, fantastic kickboxers in there you don't want to see them wrestle and if i have two fantastic wrestlers and they're really world class we're talking about a guy that was number five d1 and a guy who was a world champion in d2 and trained with the olympic team i wanted to see some scrambles i wanted to see some wrestling and some clinch work instead we got a, a kickboxing fight uh, between two guys who in my opinion are um not great kickboxers. Like, Colby's got cardio and strategy to his kickboxing. Usman's technically sound, um, and he's a strong and he's a strong guy. But neither of them, frankly, to me, look like, you know, strikers that have been training for 10, 15 years. Um, and, you know, I just would have, I would have liked it if there was, if there was a little more mixed in their martial arts, uh, considering how great they are at their core disciplines. Um, as far as what happened in the fight and watching Colby get his jaw broken and get put on his seat and then whine like a baby when he lost, that was extremely satisfying. I'll be forever grateful to Kamaru Usman. I've already sent him a fruit basket. Uh, hopefully he likes it and tweets about it. Um, but that was my, that was my feeling, you know, on that fight. It wasn't not exciting because of the, per you know, the personalities involved and, and how emotionally involved Colby and Usman were able to get everyone. And I understand that Colby's antics are part of that. But, 
you know, so there was the great payoff that way. Had Colby won a decision, I probably would have gone to bed pretty pissed off. Yeah, I know you weren't a fan of how this fight played out. I think we were texting during the event, and you were saying how you're kind of disappointed in this sub-level kickboxing bout between two wrestlers. I actually think they're both mixed martial artists. They're obviously the best at wrestling, but um, I expected Kamaru Usman to be maybe a step behind in the striking technique, but I expected him to hit significantly harder to really affect Kobe when he punched him. And it seemed to me like throughout most of the fight, it was surprising, but Kobe was actually tagging him, actually doing some damage on Usman, it seemed like, whereas Usman was actually reacting. His head was snapping back. He was taking those hooks pretty clean, it seemed like to me. And for once, Kobe's strikes were having an effect, not just kind of scratching an opponent or or leaving a black eye or, or what have you. He can land a kind of a striking record on anyone, but he almost never finishes. It looked to me like this version of Kobe has a really good chance of finishing some decent op- opposition. And surprisingly, Usman's shots had less of an effect, obviously, besides the giant shot that he landed to his jaw and then the couple of shots at the end of the fifth round to finish the fight. Mm, I don't know. I felt I felt like he... I felt like he hurt Colby multiple times and hurt him to the body as well. Um, I didn't feel like the front kicks were hurting that much, but I felt like those uh, kind of like uppercuts to the gut uh, were... Colby was responding to those and putting his hands down and backing up quicker uh, to catch his air back. So I I thought he tenderized Colby's abdomen quite well. Yeah, that's actually a fair point. The body shots were probably having an effect, and maybe that is what allowed Usman to end up getting that finish in the fifth round. Maybe I'm giving those less credit than they deserve because they're less noticeable, but they definitely do a lot of damage, and they definitely affect your opponent's ability to keep on going late into those rounds, even though Colby is known for his cardio um, because of his output and because of those body shots. I could certainly see those being major factors in why he got so tired toward the very end of that fight. It seems to me like there isn't really another fight for Kumaru Usman besides Leon Edwards at this point where we're talking about the very top of that division obviously George Masvidal is an option but it seems to me like it's an open and shut case Leon Edwards is the most deserving uh, opponent that Kumaru Usman can face at this point I know that they fought before but Leon Edwards has gone undefeated since he lost that semi-competitive decision to Usman back when they were up and comers yeah. in the UFC's welterweight division Leon Edwards who's who's, who's already been defeated by Usman so tell me about that kind of jaw injury and how it heals. I mean, you essentially get your jaw wired shut. It's not best case scenario by any means. And obviously it's do come up and for Kobe. I think a lot of people are happy to see that happen to him. Of right, all right. But is this going to be, when it heals, is he going to be susceptible to jaw injury again? That's a very good question because there have been some guys that have had that issue before. I think Cub Swanson is one of them where he got his jaw broken once and then it broke multiple times after that. And I think that's part of the reason he's been flirting with retirement on and off for a little while now. So I can certainly see that being an issue, man. The, the guy needs to definitely do everything humanly possible to make sure that it heals fully. Take some serious time off if it is, in fact, broken. Because, look, he, he might not be susceptible to a knockout because he has just an iron head. But the fact that his jaw went before he took the knockout, again, it just shows a lot about the kind of shots that he's able to take. But he can't keep getting his jaw broken. That's just not an option. Um, I, I think it's a little bit different from a nose bro- break, which... I mean, you're definitely going to feel that if you don't take the proper amount of time off. I think Rory McDonald was probably a good example of that. Mike Perry, who competed with a recently broken nose at this event, didn't become a factor in this fight. But uh, I could see that bothering him in the near future. But the jaw is, I would say, much more serious, but probably a little bit less likely to repeat itself, especially if you can really work on that defense. Colby might need to change his style, uh, but I do think he should be okay from this as long as he's smart about it. Uh, Dana White brought up Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley, and I think that might be the fight to make next for whenever it is that Covington is back, whether Woodley fights in the meantime or not. If his jaw is not broken, then maybe in just several months this matchup could be uh, set up, and I think Colby would just run train on him. I think he'd do whatever he'd want. Woodley doesn't have the output. He doesn't have the wrestling advantage in that matchup. Yeah, he has power, but it doesn't seem to really matter all that much with Covington um, so I would expect Covington to do whatever he wants in the Woodley matchup for sure. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see that. I think uh, I think Covington probably wins that fight. If Masvidal's smart, he's gonna he's gonna wait to see what happens with Cerrone McGregor. So, uh, McGregor keeps talking about Khabib in one fifty five, but the the fight for him he he should be fighting fights where he's got a good chance of staying on his feet. Um, for Usman. I think I think it probably is Leon Edwards. Let me check the rankings real quick. 
because I'm not that excited about that fight. I mean, same my same feeling about Masvidal. I love Masvidal, but it's hard to Usman can just put those guys on their you know on their ass. Um, he's already kind of cleaned the Dos Anjos. He's I mean he's already cleaned out most of the guys who've got a shot at him. Ponzinibbio, I don't think really has a shot. Maybe Stephen Thompson is the guy to face him. I think that's probably the only other guy in that welterweight division that has a solid shot, and that is considered a top flight welterweight despite his kind of recent more troubled record. Yeah, I think Wonder Boy's an I think Wonder Boy's an interesting I think Wonder Boy's an interesting fight. Um, he, that's the honestly looking at this at this list. Uh, I mean, Jeff Neal's not close to there yet. We haven't really seen him against an all star wrestler. Yeah, I guess I'd, I guess Edward, I think Edwards and Thompson are the are the guys I'd like to see next. I'm also looking at I'm I'm also looking at, at uh people to maybe come down from come down from when like listen if if Kelvin if Kelvin Gasolim can finally get his ass like out of out of Chipotle, that's a fight I'd love to see. I think Kelvin showed that he can be competitive in the old version of the welterweight division, uh, kind of when the old guard was holding place, when Woodley was champion and those up-and-comers didn't quite get a crack at the very top of the division yet. I don't know that he's there at welterweight to compete with the very, very best guys. I think he'd be better placed at middleweight, which is an overall weaker division uh, where he's significantly faster than his opponents and probably a little bit busier than a lot of those guys. That won't be the case with these top two at welterweight in Covington and Usman. Gastelum's fought some monsters at both weight classes and had pretty good success. Plus, he recently lost to Darren Till, who's not exactly a welterweight world beater. Yeah, that was a but that was a weird ass fight. He didn't really lose to him. He more he more didn't win. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, he's he fought uh, Weidman, who's like a, a you know uh, Hendricks. I'm not saying he would definitely. I'm saying that's a that's a fight I'd be excited to see. And I'm not. I look at these. What this? I look at these welterweights, and I'm not real. I'm not. I'm not really excited to see any of them. Uh, whether Gaslam can ever get the nutrition going to to make 170 and 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 really be his best self, I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't possibly argue with the fact that that those are fights I want to see. I'd love to see Gaslam face any of these top three or four at welterweight. Yeah, really good fights. Those would be. I just. I guess I was looking at it from the perspective of his career. But you're right. As a fan. That would be a great, great matchup between him and Usman. Let's move on to Volkanovski versus Max Holloway. He really did put it all together. I mentioned last week about how Max Holloway has been predominantly beating guys that have notable holes in their games. Jose Aldo probably has the fewest holes of all the opposition that he's beaten, and Jose Aldo's major hole is that he gets tired and he can't keep up uh, a high pace for a long period of time. That's exactly what Max Holloway took advantage of. They're not wrestle boxers looking to, looking to get into a brawl so that Ma- that so Max can creatively style on them. Volkanovski man was was terrific. Just great game plan. His composure. That's I mean it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but I was just so impressed by his composure. Um, he he was not he rose to the occasion absolutely uh, and looked terrific. It was a flaw it was a flawless performance and max just you know max didn't have much of a plan b and he didn't uh he didn't adjust he just did not he did not adjust and and figure out a way to win rounds he looked he looked kind of lost out there i think you're making an excellent point about max not having a plan b i don't think there is such a thing as a plan b for max i don't think that he fights in any other way except to start off at a tepid pace and slowly pick it up to a point where most of his opponents can't handle it Volkanovski could. Um, Max, his defense is not really that great, but he's able to take a shot and he's able to overwhelm his opposition eventually. He wasn't able to do that in this matchup. He wasn't able to do that against Poirier either, who had the chin and the power and the game plan combination that was able to outdo Max. I'm just not a believer in Max's team. I, I don't think those guys are that brilliant. I don't think they're refining the strategy and, and building on the aspects of his technique that he needs to build in order to take away those minor holes in his game. The fact of the matter is the guy's hittable and Volkanovski, that was more than enough for him and said he kickboxing to take advantage of. It seems to me like we have guys like Yair Rodriguez and Zabit Magomed Sharipov who are kind of the top contenders to face Holloway at this point. Although it does sound like Dana White wants to rematch Max Holloway with Alexander Volkanovski. Yeah, I think they're talking about doing a rematch in Australia, but I, I guess I'd like to give him a fight before the rematch, but I can understand Max getting a a very beloved fighter 
um, getting the getting the rematch in his home in his homeland. I mean, Max is really putting himself in danger of being two and two in his last four if he loses again to Volkanovski, and I think that would be a really bad idea. Wouldn't he be one? Wait, wouldn't he be one in three in his last four? Wasn't it Poirier? Poirier Edgar Volkanovski would put him at one and two. And then if he loses again, he'd be one in three in his last oh, four. Oh, you're absolutely right. In that case, you're right. He would be one in three in his last four, which is absolute worst case scenario. So I really do hope that Max uh, cleans up some parts of the division that he hasn't touched yet. I know he's beaten a lot of those guys, but maybe a Hanato Maikano might be a good matchup for him. But he needs to avoid Volkanovski for the time being. Yeah, I never, I mean, I love Max. This whole best featherweight of all time. You and I argued about this over text a little bit. I, I still think Jose Aldo is the best featherweight of all time because he was on top for six or seven years. Um, and that's a, that's a hard, that's a, it's hard to do the walk that many times, that many big media events that, you know, is tough. Um, looking on, uh, Nunez, uh, Jermaine Durandamere, there's, there's not much to say here. Like Nunez, Nunez discovered really quickly that she, uh, after after really roughing her up and doing whatever she wanted in the first round, uh, Duranami to her to her um, in her defense, I suppose, or to her benefit, didn't uh, back down. She got you know she game planned well and she struck with Nunez and looked really good um, in the in the second round. She just you know Nunez then just went straight up GSP on her. Very powerful and just put her on her back time and time again. And, uh, you know, Jermaine Durandermi just does not have the ability to, you know, get up uh, to to stop those takedowns, to sprawl on that um, or to get herself back up. And, you know, frankly, there were wrestlers that fought, you know, people that fought GSP who had a lot more uh, grappling training and wrestling training who were not able to get out from under. And she just could not get out from under. Uh, and people say no, Nunez looked, you know, looked susceptible, and she got caught with an up kick. Like, I mean, whatever. That was that was, you know, Nunez was his, was pretty except for that second round. Nunez was as dominant as like Khabib is in his fights. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say there's a big difference between Nunez and GSP when it comes to overall wrestling technique. But you're right that Durandami, you know, she hasn't been taken down in years, and suddenly Nunez was just blasting through her every takedown that she wanted. It seemed like she was getting. And you do, you forget that Amanda Nunes has that in her back pocket since she's been knocking girls out or winning, you know, competitive stand-up decisions that were predominantly kickboxing, even against a kickboxer like Valentina Shevchenko. I forgot Nunes could do that. And they, But they weren't just takedowns. They were, they were GSP power doubles going through a premier athlete-like butter takedowns. That's fair, and maybe I should give her a little bit more credit for that, considering Nunez's takedown defense since the last time she fought Amanda Nunez has been 100%. I know you've declared Amanda Nunez as a top pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Do you still feel that way? Do you still feel like, regardless of gender, she is the very best fighter on planet Earth when it comes to MMA? Um, I do. Um, I'd say that Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, can put up an argument but the fact of the matter is, I think there's a lot of fighters at 170 um, that could beat Khabib. And just because I don't think he'd be able to take them down. And um, like, I don't, I think Khabib would probably lose to Kamaru Usman, uh, for example. But Nunez is, has two wins over the champ at 125. Close, close, you know, you know, very closely contested. Who's a, who's a great fighter. And has the belt at two other weight classes, so it, nobody's nobody can claim to have owned and defeated all the champions across three weight classes in mixed martial arts. So she's the she's the she is absolutely the pound for pound most dominant fighter uh, mixed martial arts fighter on the planet right now. Doesn't mean she can't be beaten. Doesn't mean she can't be she can't lose. Anybody can lose. But what she's done over the last you know four years is unprecedented. I mean, if you think about it, Amanda Nunez has really, as far as high-level opposition, right, who's she really beaten? She beat Valentina Shevchenko, and those were kind of really close, competitive decisions. Like, when it comes to elite opposition, who's she really beaten? You don't consider Cyborg a high-level fighter? That's a very good point. That's a very good point. That's very hard to argue with. You're right. She's beaten two of the very elite uh, opponents in the world. I still think Henry Cejudo is very much in that top pound-for-pound conversation 
given his track record, given the fact that he beat Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw and then Marlon Marais shortly thereafter, I definitely think he has a lot to say. And I think he's fighting in divisions that are overall so, so much higher level than the women's featherweight and bantamweight divisions. He's 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 almost there, but she's had a great four years and he's had a great year and a half. So he could be. And I love and I love Suhuda. Love him. Um, but he's not he's not that far removed from losing to Joseph Benavidez. And you've got to look much further back to look at and and that's nothing to sneeze at. Joseph Joseph Benavidez is a you know, a top a top ten all time bantamweight and a top five all time flyweight. So, you know, but um I, I you know, Sahudo's still he he's 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 fresher on the P for P list. Yeah, that's honestly fair to say. The fact that he does have that relatively recent loss to Benavidez, regardless of how close that fight may have been. Who would you match Amanda Nunes with? Jesus, I I have no I I have no idea. I know have no no idea. Like uh, it's usually easy for me to do. I feel like Arena Aldana is probably the best case scenario. She's probably the most deserving of everyone there. If if you don't count Aspen Ladd, who's coming off of a recent knockout loss and then a a win or two. Right. Same. Let's switch gears and talk about Marlon Moraes versus Jose Aldo. A really competitive fight. A fight that a lot of people think Marlon Moraes did not deserve. I thought it was very close, and I thought that he landed a couple of those partial head kicks in the first round that seemed to have put Jose Aldo on wobbly legs. And there's easy argument to be made about him winning the first round. Jose Aldo clearly took that second round. He was totally dominant, looked really good. And that one kind of vintage Jose Aldo, maybe outside of the leg kicks. And then in that third round, it seemed like Marlon Moraes really started pushing again. And easy argument to make that either guy could have won that third round. So I definitely don't think it was a robbery. But I can see the argument to be made for either guy in this matchup. I certainly don't think that Aldo clear-cut deserved the win. He had a really good second round, and yeah, it was, it's listen. Scoring fights on the ten point must system is difficult, right? Like Aldo, if I remember correctly, was starting to look good towards the end of the first. There was a, there was like an eight minutes of maybe a seven and a half or eight minutes of the fight where Aldo was winning, but it's like when did those minutes occur, and how do they how do they look compared to the what rounds the times that Marais was winning? where uh you know was happening so i think it could have gone either way everybody was everyone was pulling for aldo but i wasn't i wasn't surprised if i remember correctly mmadecisions.com um which aggregates great site for any of our listeners that don't know it it aggregates what all uh online judges say oh it says the service is unavailable right now on the site but um it's i, I was gonna look and see i think they had it pretty even but I mean, you know, good good fight. Uh, Dana White was kind of a dick about it afterwards, saying he really felt like Aldo deserved it, and he was thinking about make doing Aldo Sohudo, um, which is kind of disrespectful to Marlon Moraes, who coming off of that loss um, to Sohudo, looked you know like fought through fought through adversity, looked good. He's fighting arguably the the greatest um, uh, featherweight of all time, and you know Aldo still has things stings to his shots the thing though is like why doesn't aldo throw kicks i think at this point aldo it's it's pretty clear that he injured that leg i don't know if it's the scooter accident from a couple of years yeah. ago i don't know if it's, it's the fact that he's been landing those leg kicks and hurting his shin over the years but he stopped throwing kicks a long long time ago it's been a long many, many time fights ago, now, even though he's yeah. kind of known for it still he'll throw one or two leg kicks per fight and everybody goes oh they're back those leg kicks are back aldo's vintage and then that's about it per fight right it's so, it's a, such a bummer. Like imagine Edson Barbosa not being able to use his legs. Yeah, that's a big difference maker for him not to be able to use his legs. But for Edson, it'd probably be worse because Jose Aldo has much, much better boxing than Edson Barbosa does and a better chin. Yeah, but you know what happens when he can't, when he, you know what happens when he can't throw leg kicks? He's got to stand closer to you. <laughs> And, that, and he gets he gets popped a lot more than he yeah, used to. Yeah, that, that's fair, and that's that's probably very true. At a distance, he can probably land more of those leg kicks and get away with it. Although they do take more energy, and I think a lot of the reason that folks were picking Marlon Barais. Let's not kid ourselves. Like it's not like Jose Aldo suddenly done and getting beat up by some mediocre opposition. The guy loses a fight that he was winning to Max Holloway, who's a featherweight king at the time. He loses to 
Alexander Volkanovsky, who was the new featherweight king, who's basically been untouchable ever since I think, if I'm not mistaken, his like fourth fight that he lost. So it's not like Aldo's like way behind and getting knocked out by mid-level fighters. He's losing to the very, very elite, to the very best. And I think that weight cut is probably the big reason that a lot of folks were favoring Marlon Marais in this one. Uh, probably the reason that the odds were kind of lopsided in Marlon Marais's favor. Those pictures didn't look good, but I actually think that he was dieting down. I think he was actually very smart about it. If we had seen him look that way just in a couple of these days leading up to the weight cut, I would have been genuinely worried, but we saw him looking yep. slimmer and slimmer far out, which means he was dieting down. It's probably the heavier, uh, the healthier way to do it. Yeah, he did it right. He had good. At- it sounds like he did yeah. it the right way. I'm excited to see Aldo fight again. I didn't really, if I remember correctly, he wasn't really hurt uh, particularly badly at any time. I'd like, I'd like to see him fight Cody. I'd let Aldo Rob Font is a great fight. I mean, there's there's six or seven great fights at 135 for Aldo. I just know that I just hope that he doesn't that poor Frankie doesn't have to fight him again. Yeah, how funny would it be if Frankie and Aldo end up meeting up at one thirty five? I don't think there's any reason to set up that matchup. Um I I, th- I think it is kind of funny how a lot of these one forty five hours are coming down to one thirty five and making a bit of a splash. How about Peter Yan, who just did his thing against Uriah Faber? It seemed like whatever he wanted he could get done in the middle of that fight after a Competitive first round, which I think we kind of expected. Yan is not the fastest guy in the world. He's not necessarily the most technical, although he is technical, but he hits hard and his output is just so hard to mess with, especially since he has serious power. Yeah. It's like if Colby Covington had serious pop in his hands, certainly Peter Yan fits that description. Yeah, Yan was great. He had a uh, he had really, really good pop. Faber couldn't get his wrestling game working at all. And you know, Faber <sighs> Favors had a storied career. He was a he was a big star, charismatic guy. Put the light, put the the lesser weights uh, on the map um, for uh, for casuals when WEC was on versus. Um, but when you look at his record, he only has a he only has a few signature wins against top competition. His win against Cruz was when Cruz was a real really inexperienced. Um, he beat you know he beat Pulver twice when after you know Pulver Pulver's real run. Yes, he's got a he beat uh, Mizugaki, Wineland, Brian Bulls had a lot of trouble, but uh, Rafael Asuncao was his biggest win. Right, but that was a version of Asuncao that is way behind. That's the version of Asuncao that was before his streak, before he really went on this winning streak. It's kind of like his win over Dominic right, Cruz, right, right. which was when Cruz was a young up-and-coming kid who had no business fighting Uriah Faber. He can beat those guys, but he could never truly beat the elite. Even though I know he was WEC champion, that was before that division was really figured out, before guys like Mike Thomas Brown and Jose Alda came into the picture. It could be. I'd go as, I'd go as far as to say that right now, I think 135 is the most electric division in the UFC. I look at I look at the these potential combos with Sandhagen, you know, with Edgar, with Aldo moving down, with Cejudo, with Moraes, with Sterling, Munoz, Rivera, Co- Cody Garbrandt, who was a big star just uh, not too long ago, um, is still around. He was he was jawing with Jan backstage, and at some point, fucking TJ Dillashaw is going to come back. So this is a this is a stacked division. We didn't even mention Jimmy Rivera, who's still pretty darn good. Like there's, and a sun and a sun cell. Like the it's like one one through fifteen. I think uh, this is a this is the most fun division in the UFC right now. Yeah, I think you're making an excellent point. Actually, it might just be the better of the. 145 and 150 pound divisions, 55 pound divisions. I think those are the divisions that everyone considers to be the best. 135, 145, and 155. And it does seem like 135 is kind of persevering and coming through at the very top of it with guys like Garbrandt, Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz, Asuncao, Sanhagen, Yan, Sterling, Marlon Marais, really just a wealth of riches at 135 right now in the UFC. You've got three champions from other weight classes in favor Aldo and Edgar who just showed up. And you're right, all these all these former champions are coming in and filling out this division, and it's only improving the name value, and it's only improving the skill I mean, level, I think. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how some of those guys match up at 135 as their treks continue. Joff Neal, Mike Perry, man. Joff Neal's just looked spectacular, ran him right over. His speed, his power, and his left head kick, that left straight, really hard to compete with. You would think that the broken nose of Mike Perry would become a factor here, but it never got a chance to. He was able to finish Mike Perry. And that's something that really nobody else was able to do. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? 
Not much to say. Joff Neal looked, yeah, Joff Neal looked awesome. Felt bad for Perry, who, um, it's funny, he's kind of pulled a face turn lately. He started off, he was such an obnoxious, like, Florida trash heel, and he's uh, he's really made himself likable. Unfortunately, his ascent in likability has corresponded uh, to a not terrific uh, streak of fights. Um, you know, I'd love, to, I'd like to see Mike Perry, you know, get get a couple back against lesser competition. I also just hope he lets him gives himself some time to heal up. Who would you want to see Neil match up with next, Nick? Yeah, I want to see Neil. Uh, I know Luke's coming off a loss. I'd like to see Neil Luke sounds good to me. Uh, Neil Lawler. I would love to see him fight uh, Ponzinibbio, man. I think that would be such an exciting fight between two extremely explosive high-level strikers. Doesn't he? That's guy. He doesn't have a fight set up. I feel like that guy's been on the. Uh, he has not. He has not been active. I don't think he's even fought this year. Yeah, he hasn't been around in a little while. Uh, taking some time off. He doesn't have a matchup that I know of. Actually, he's been out for thirteen months. He fought three times in twenty seventeen, and then he only fought Neil Magny last year. Sorry, he was on the card, and he got he fell off the card. He was supposed to fight Lawler. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so presumably doesn't necessarily have anyone lined up right now. They don't always rematch guys that uh, where a fight kind of uh, ends up not pulling through. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what the UFC does. I would love it if they did. Irina Aldana, man, came out. I said last week how she really only throws the jab cross. She has pretty good takedown defense and... I figured that she would have the advantage standing up over Caitlin Vera and that Caitlin Vera would just out-physical her and be able to uh, grapple her down to the floor. It was interesting. Caitlin Vera actually was out-striking her early on. And one thing that I noticed is that Aldana added a new weapon to her repertoire of just a jab cross. She added a left hook, and that's exactly what led to the knockout in this case. Really nice performance by her. You don't often see knockouts like this at uh, the women's 135-pound division. Outside of Amanda Nunes, of course. Yeah, that was you don't see in women's MMA. Once you know, a couple times a year, you see um, at UFC level anyway. Um, you know, you don't see many. That was like that was she. She flew like she like like people used to fly when they got hit by like peak Johnny Hendricks. Omar Ahmedov picked up a good decision win over Ian Heinich. This is one we had disagreed on. I just like the matchup for Omari, and that's another fight in which I want some money. Matt Brown, uh, after a competitive first round, predictably ended up blowing through Ben Saunders with a knockout. Fully expected. Chase Hooperman uh, got that submission victory. I ended up changing my pick from Daniel Tamer to Chase Hooper before the fight. Uh, by the way, guys, check out my Instagram. That's where I kind of post my updates uh, on my picks and my betting. It is at the constant martial artist. Um, Chase Hooper, yeah, once they were on the ground, Daniel Tamer was just in his web. I figured Tamer goes for takedowns against anyone, even if it's a bad move to make. And in this case, it was a bad move to make. Chase Hooper just basically dialed him right up, wrapped him up, and yeah, actually TKO'd him uh, with a kind of a mounted triangle in that very first round. Well, he got caught in a really Hooper got caught in a really tight guillotine out of the out of the uh, out of the gate and somehow squirmed out of it. Brandon Moreno, Kaikara France was a phenomenal fight. I told you not to sleep on Brandon Moreno, man. I told you he has his shit together, and I really do believe that he deserved his last fight against Askar Askarov that ended up being a draw. But he was faster than Kaikara France. He's a taller man. He's known for his ground game, but in this fight, he looked really good with his boxing. I think he's probably the best representation of Mexican-style boxing in MMA a great representative for the country of Mexico and someone who I really look forward to seeing at flyweight at 125. I think he's someone that can really be at the very near the very top of that division, if not at the top of it with the rate at which he is improving and city kickboxing. Uh, I would say Kakar France is probably one of the weaker fighters on that team. And, you know, it showed in this, in this matchup, he's, he's fairly vulnerable. And I think, you know, the guy's got seven losses leading into this matchup on his record, right? So seven guys have been able to figure him out, and probably that was before he fought at 125, and that was maybe before he trained with City Kickboxing, which is just turning out champion after champion after really not even being on the map at all. So Kaikar France probably the weak link in that team, but still a good fighter and still somebody that I look forward to watching compete in the future. Yeah, you know, Kaikar France is from that great camp, same as Volkanovski, Adesanya. Um, and he looked good. He just got like... Moreno, damn Moreno looked great. I don't, I don't have much else to say about it. Like it was, uh, I was pulling for France, but he just got a. Uh, he has re- he has really good skills. He's really technical. Brendan Moreno comes to fight, and in the second and third round, he outfought Kaikara France. 
Yeah, he really did. He looked pretty darn spectacular. I look forward to seeing him compete at flyweight once again. Jessica I versus Viviana Rujo ended up being kind of a weird fight. I ended up losing quite a bit of money on that one because I had a couple of parlays involving Viviana Rujo. Jessica I just simply outboxed her after that first round where Rujo seemed to be the faster fighter with the better footwork who was able to land the bigger bombs, which is kind of how I expected the entire fight to go. Instead, Jessica I just did her thing, man. I keep underestimating her, and I really should give her more credit. Um, she looked pretty solid in this matchup, and let's face it, at 125, Jessica I is now 4-1, and one, and her only loss was to the clear-cut, head and shoulders above everyone else, Valentina Shevchenko. So I, again, I have to stop underestimating Jessica I, and I have to stop building parlays against her. And I also probably have to stop uh, basing several parlays on one fighter. That's a mistake that I will not repeat. It's a mistake that I've truly learned from now. You never know. You never know which Jessica I is going to show up, dude. And then we had uh, Panahele Soriano, who scored a first-round double left-hook knockout victory over Oscar Piacetta, who's just turning out to be a little bit of a dud when it comes to the U.S. FC is now in a three-fight losing streak, two and three, uh, and he lost to the debuting 7-0 now, Soriano, who I look forward to competing again uh, between his Division One All-American wrestling credentials and the fact that he's got serious power on his hands, the fact that he's aggressive as heck, he's going to be really someone to watch at that 185-pound division. It was a good opener. You know, not much, not much that you called this one. We are going to take a break. Come back and give you guys our preview for UFC on ESPN Plus 23, Edgar versus Korean Zombie. We'll be back, folks. And we are back on the MMA Geek C-Level podcast here to break down UFC on ESPN Plus 23, Edgar versus Korean Zombie. Uh, Nick, we're going to get into our draft picking system here, and I fully expect that you're going to pick the single biggest favorite since it's your turn to pick, pick first this time. I assume you're going to pick Cyril Gane. You know, did he have to steal my thunder? Did he really have to do that? I mean, you could not pick him. Fine. You know what? I'm not I'm not going to pick him now just because of that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, de- I'm definitely going to pick Cyril Gane, uh, Brazil minus 800 favorite. Over Tanner Nick, Bozer. you don't have to pick him. No, I'm not picking a guy named Tanner Bozer. It kind of looked, uh, I mean, he, who knows what will, who knows what will happen, but he sure looked like a world beater last time he fought. Um, so yeah, he's my first pick. Yeah, he's my first pick as well. Tanner Bozer is a good fighter overall. It's just tough to look good against an athletic dynamo that's as big, that's as fast, that's as hard hitting, and as good at, with his submissions as Cyril Gane. Tanner Bose is kind of like a distant karate, kind of boring fighter. 17-5 record overall versus Cyril Gane's 5-0. So on paper, Bozer has so much more experience. But I expect Gane to light him up and do his thing here. He's looked pretty spectacular so far in the UFC. And I expect that to continue in this matchup. So good first pick. He was my first guy on my list. For my first pick, Nick, I'm going to pick Du Ho Choi, the Korean Superboy, over Charles Jordan. That was my number two pick, you jerk. At minus 290, I think Du Ho Choi is uh, maybe a little bit too high of a favorite in this one. But I do think he's relentless, ruthless enough. He's got the power. He's got the pressure. Um, Charles Jordan is a pretty good overall fighter. He's not the most athletic or dynamic guy in the world, but he will push forward and he, he will persevere through tough times to overwhelm his opponents with strikes. I just don't like his chances against an opponent of this level. He lost to the much bigger Des Green in his last fight. Uh, but I expect Duhoi Choi to do his thing here, even though they're a lot closer in size. Jeremy Stevens and Cub Swanson are in a different league from Charles Jordan, and I expect Duhoi Choi to make it look like that's the case. Uh, my next pick is the other Choi, Sungwoo Choi over Suman Maktarian. I think that there's I think there's several Korean fighters on the fight that have favorable matchups, which is not, you know, the first time we've seen that from the UFC. That was actually going to be my number four pick, Nick. I did have my next pick lined up before that. I agree with you about Sungwoo Choi over Suman Mokhtarian. Uh, Sungwoo's a good stand-up fighter. Mokhtarian is, too. I think really the big difference here will be, uh, I don't know why, by the way, Choi is such a big favorite. It makes little sense to me considering he's 0-2 in the UFC. Both of these guys have fought serious prospects in their UFC careers thus far, with Samar Mokhtarian having fought Sadiq Youssef. 
Um, I do favor Choi here, but very slightly. I think Suman might have more of a ground game than Choi, and all he has to do is go for takedowns. If he's smart enough to do that, I think he can pick up the victory here as a big underdog. My second picnic is going to be Kyung Ho Kang uh, to get a victory over uh, Lu Ping Yuan. That was my next pick. I almost did it just now, but I didn't, so go ahead. I think uh, Kang is actually about as good as it gets when it comes to the Korean fighters. He's a really, really solid fighter. He's somebody who, in my opinion, deserved the decision victory over Ricardo Ramos. And if you count that as a win for him, he's on a six-fight winning streak in the UFC uh, with only his true loss in the UFC coming to Chico Camus in his UFC debut. So I like him in this matchup over Puang Lu, who is not quite nearly in the same league. What's your next pick, buddy? Um, I, for my next pick, am going to, this is a flyweight bout. I'm going to go with Alexander Pantoja against Matt Schnell. Um, I think it's going to be a good fight. Um, I think the odds might, I think they could be a little closer than the minus 210 plus 175. And Pantoja is coming off a loss against Davidson Figueredo, which is nothing to be ashamed about. That's a, that's a very powerful, uh, good fighter. He, he lost the unanimous decision. Uh, Schnell's coming up a bunch of wins, but no, but not the same level of competition. When he's been in there with the real big boys, uh, he hasn't been able to score a win. He has a win against Smolka, but Smolka, you know, um, I think is, has, has fallen off quite a bit and is maybe going to enjoy a resurgence now. But I think this is, I think uh, Pantoja has, sh- has shown us more um, in his in his wins over race, uh, Sasaki and Moreno. Yeah, I actually disagree with this one. I think that Matt Snell probably has the edge here. I just really like what I've been seeing from that guy lately. He's been looking like a world beater, honestly. Granted, he has been fighting the very elite of the division. But I do think that Pantoja is probably a little bit overrated. Between Snell's sharp, straight punches, between the fact that he's the bigger, taller fighter here, it's also interesting that they both trained at American Top Team at some point, although from what I understand, Schnell now trains with AKA, which is not exactly known for their big guys, so maybe that's a little bit concerning. But I do favor Schnell because I think on the ground he shouldn't be tied up in knots by Pantoja, especially if he gets top position. And although I can see Pantoja getting top position a few times and routing out a victory here, I can definitely see that happening. Uh, I favor Schnell because I think he's a little bit sharper everywhere. Could be wrong, though. It's definitely a close matchup on paper. So I'm very much glad that you made this pick, Nick, especially this high up on the order list. Uh, you're, you're welcome. My next pick, Nick, is going to be Miranda Granger to beat Amanda Lemos. Maybe I'm picking this one a little bit too soon. I just feel like uh, Granger's pressure, her length, is going to be a big factor here. She had seven amateur fights before she got her current undefeated pro record, so a wealth of experience. And Amanda Lemos looked really good in the first round of her UFC debut and then everything fell apart because she got exhausted and overwhelmed. I could see Miranda Granger's pressure having a similar effect, although she won't likely have the same level of output as Amanda Lemos's last opponent, Leslie Smith, who, oddly enough, is outside of the UFC now. Uh, I think uh, Lemos can, I mean, if she can keep up what she did in the first round throughout the fight, that would be incredibly impressive. But I'm going to favor Miranda Granger because of how tired Lemos got in her UFC debut. So you've got uh, Miranda Granger. Who was your pick in this one? I did did also. Uh, I'm going to pick the co-main event next. I'm going to go with Alexander Rakek over Vulcan Ozmedir. Uh, I mean, I like both of these guys a lot. This is... You know, this would be a tough loss for Ozdemir, who finally picked up a win in his last fight after losses to really, really high-level competition. And Rikik's on his on the way up, right after that, after just mauling Jimmy Manawa, who's who's had problems for a long time. But Rikik is taller, has and has better reach. Uh, so I think what we're going to see is could end up looking a lot like the Dominic Reyes fight. Um, so I could see it being close, but. Uh, Ray Kick potentially keeping Ozmedir at the end of his punches uh, really well, and you know I could just see him really uh, beating up beating up the body uh, with kit with kicks. What do you think is going to happen? I actually disagree with this one as well, and this is, was going to be my second to last pick because huh. I figured that you would pick Ray Kick. I favor Ozdemir. I think he's really been putting his entire game together here. Uh, he's coming off of that very decisive, just ravaging of Ilir Latifi, sending him up to heavyweight. And before that, he had that competitive fight with Dominic Reyes, who, Dominic Reyes, you're right, it's a similar matchup as this one with Rakic, except that Rakic is not as untouchable as Reyes. They can both be taken down, these two guys, right, which where is where I think uh, Volkan Ozdemir will have the edge. 
But I also think that Rakic's chin has not been looking great. He's been knocked down a couple of times in his last few bouts. Uh, Jimmy Manuel didn't get the opportunity, but Devin Clark hurt him. Justin Ledette touched him up a little bit in the few moments that they were standing in that matchup. Uh, I feel like the wrestling advantage is going to be Alzheimer's, and I think the power advantage to chin ratio is going to be Alzheimer's as well. Rakic is faster here for sure, and he's the taller man with the bigger reach, which is unusual in a Vulcan Alzheimer matchup. But I do favor Alzheimer's. Uh, Rackick, though, if he can come out with this victory, is truly one of the elite 205-pounders, and that would be very exciting to me. I just think Vulcan Elzdemir is truly at the top of his game at this point, and it's a, just a bad time to fight him, if you ask me. Yeah. The Anthony Smith fight was close, too, until it wasn't. Yeah, the Anthony Smith fight was close uh, with Elzdemir. He was actually in control in the early part of the fight until he got tired later on, and I don't expect that to be a factor here in a three-round fight. What do you got next? My next pick is going to be, Nick, uh, I'm going to pick... Omar Morales over Dung Young Ma. I think that Young Ma is just not very athletic. He doesn't have the best chin. He's coming off of a couple of TKO losses, and he's fighting the UFC debuting Morales here, who hits really hard. The guy's athletic as all hell. He trains, from what I understand, at least affiliated with Hard Knocks 365. Just really, really hard-hitting pressure forward kind of guy. He can get hit himself, right? And he's not the most technical guy on the entire planet. But I really do think his power will be uh, the big difference maker in this matchup. I agree. Same same point of view on that. This is now for the rest of the fights. It's going to get this gets a little hairy. I like uh, Mark Andre uh, Boriel against uh, Jun Young Park. Berlieu? huh? Mark Andre Berlieu? I'm picking Boriel. What are you saying? You like Mark Andre Berlieu? But yeah, that guy. I'm on the same page as far as that pick, but that one was much further down the list just because they're two strikers and Marc-Andre Berriou is actually flying in for this one. I do like that Marc-Andre seemed to have flown in about a week and a half, maybe two weeks before the bout, and I think that will definitely help him along in this matchup, and that's part of the reason why I'm picking him. I just feel like he's the bigger man here. Um, he's going to be able to land some bombs, and it's going to be harder to take him down than it was for a couple of his last prior opponents. This is a bit of a step down for him in competition, and I think well-deserved. Uh, after, you know, kind of being thrown into the shark tank a little bit in his first two UFC bouts. So same page there. My next pick, Nick, is going to be... What do you got? The Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung Ooh. over Frankie Edgar. It breaks my heart on the one hand to pick against Frankie Edgar. I've been a fan of his for a long time. But I just think that Chan Sung Jung's size advantage is going to be a factor here. The fact that he hits really hard, especially earlier in that fight, the guy can knock just about anybody out, it seems like. Um, coming off of a first-round knockout victory over Hanato Moicano. He was in control of, that, of the majority of that Yari Rodriguez fight before he got knocked out with a last millisecond elbow, which is it's just as fortunate as it is skillful of Yari Rodriguez to have uh, gotten that last, literal last-second knockout victory. I don't expect Frankie Edgar to have the kind of pop to endanger him here. And although Frankie Edgar might be able to get the occasional takedown and maybe land some strikes, I think there'll be a big difference in the effect of those strikes. Also, Frankie has been working on getting down to 135 pounds. So not exactly best case scenario for him to fight one of the bigger 145ers on short notice in this one. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. This is one where I'm too involved emotionally. Um, I think I... I don't think Edgar's added a wrinkle to his game in a while. And it's just tough to see, you know, if he, if he's able to get takedowns, Zombie's got a, got great subs and good scrambles. Um, and it's going to be tough to hold down. He's not, I don't think he's going to get him in a, in a Yaya Rodriguez position where he can just, you know, where like Edgar got to Rodriguez where he can just light him up. Um, and, you know, Frankie's, Frankie's boxing is pretty good. Um, zombie can be hurt. You know, he's been knocked up by a head kick. He's been TKO'd by Aldo after getting pieced up a little bit with that injury. And he got knocked out by Yair Rodriguez. Frankie, you know, not that he's known for, he's not certainly not known for his power, but he did, he did knock out Chad Mendes, you know, which not a lot of people can claim. Zombie gets hit. Uh, he's pretty hittable. So, I mean, that's how he got his nickname. <laughs> Uh, it certainly is be- you know, he's better than he was when he's, when he's, you know, throwing with, um, oh my God, who, who was that guy from the, from the WEC? Leonard Garcia. Leonard Nick. Garcia. He got yeah. through that war with Leonard Garcia in his WAC debut. That's right. Leonard Garcia. Leonard, Leonard Garcia was the first, was Mike Brown's one successful title defense. No, I think he defended it at least uh, once more against Uriah Faber, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you're right. You're right. Faber had the rematch. 
but then he beat, and then he beat, I think he did beat Garcia after that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one, but I think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to abstain from this one. You, you, I don't, I don't have to pick it, so I'm not gonna. And, uh, mine, actually, I think it's your next. That was your pick. I'm up next. Thank you for, uh, uh, although I don't particularly like him i'm gonna pick um oh actually no i'm not i'm gonna pick a nurmagomedov because there's someone on the card <laughs> yeah i actually disagree with this one as well nick i've got ronnie barcelos because he's got the he's favored opportunity for takedowns in this bout he's got really crisp boxing the only thing that kind of concerns me about the matchup for him is the fact that his output isn't all that high so you know is a talented guy but I think he is maybe a little bit overrated. I mean, he did beat uh, Ricardo Ramos in his last bout with that spinning back kick. But I wonder how that fight would have gone had he not been able to catch that catch that kick. And then, in my opinion, he was losing to Justin Scoggins uh, back in 2018 and then ended up with a split decision victory, which was kind of odd. So, ah. yeah, I, I, actually, I actually disagree on this pick as well. Glad you made it, buddy. Barcelos is just his his takedowns, his submission ability, his power in his hands. I think it's a combination that uh, this version of Narmagomedov might have some trouble with. Nick, for my final pick, and after this, you are gonna have to pick the tiebreaker. I'm going to pick. I'm gonna take Haley Alatang over Ryan Benoit. I think Haley Alatang's wrestling pedigree is going to be a factor. I believe he actually uh, tried out for the national team uh, to compete at the Olympics. Wasn't able to get it, but just the fact that he was in that kind of training camp trying out, I think means a lot. Also, he's got a piston of a right hand. His output is not very high, and that's where I'm a little bit concerned about the matchup, just like the last one that you picked. But Ryan Benoit is coming off of a couple of years off. I feel like the wrestling will be the the bigger issue for him. He's got this weird, he's got this uncanny power. Like he, he's at 135 pounds, right? And he's not very technical at all, but he seems to hit really hard for no reason, which is an avenue for him to win here. But I like Haley Elatang because of his power, the speed of his right hand, and the fact that he's got the wrestling edge in the matchup. Uh, yeah, I was going to pick Benoit on this, even though he's not a nice guy. Um what is he really not a nice guy? Is this, is this like a thing? Is this a known thing, or is it just because of the uh, Pettis fight in which he kind of showboated or, or continued to try to hit him after the bout? Uh, no, I think he hit, he's not, a couple times he's not let go of stuff or hit people after the bell, or he's just had you know at, he's got like an anger management problem. There was one I can't remember which fight it was, but he he might have went to town on a guy after like after the round or after the after the final uh, the end of the fight. What's the, wait? What's left for the tiebreaker? Uh, for the tiebreaker, the only matchup that's left is Da Unjung versus Mike Rodriguez. That's the tiebreaker. For oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Da Unjung in this one. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on that one. Mike Rodriguez, it seems like if you're not standing with him, uh, he can get some things done. Da Unjung showed a good chin in his UFC debut in picking up kind of a comeback victory. And the fact that most fights, when they go to the ground, he's usually on top. And Mike Rodriguez sucks on the ground. He's part of that Joe Lazon training camp. So I do uh, I do agree with you on this pick. And it's going to end up being a tiebreaker for us. Uh, although I expect that it might not be necessary. Because I expect to whoop that ass once again, Nick, and make it look easy. Well, I guess I'll settle for second place, Dick. Um, so who are you going to tell people how to... Uh... Tell, tell people how to gamble away their mortgage and their kids' college fund. Go ahead. Yeah, let's take a break and come back and give these people the MMA Geeks betting guide. And we are back to the MMA Geeks podcast to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Nick, do you have any betting advice on this one for our dozens and dozens of listeners? Uh, no, no, I, I have no, I have none on this one. So last week, Nick, I had a winning week overall. Once again, in the green, maybe not as much winnings as I would have preferred. I ended up recommending $33 on Volkanovski to win 50 bucks, and that one was a success. I also recommended $21 on Volkanovski by decision. That's $21 to win 49 so 99 bucks in winnings on Volkanovski alone. I lost a 
$50 bet on Usman by decision at plus 100. If only that fight had gone a few more seconds, apparently Usman would have picked it up. And that would, the bet would have worked out for me. I won on Marais by decision at plus 295. I think people expecting him to just run through Jose Aldo were crazy. And I won 50 bucks by betting only $17. So that was a really good value bet for me. Uh, and then I have uh, Ahmedov by decision at plus 276, 15 bucks to win 41. That was a success as well. I lost five bucks on Saunders. Now, my really big losses here were my two parlays with the Rujo. I ended up losing a total of $70 on those two parlays. In total, I had $220 in bets, $134 in losses, $190 in wins for a profit of 56 bucks. 26% return on investment is not exactly my best case scenario, but once again, as long as I'm in the green, I'm a happy man, and I'm going to try and avoid those major parlays, including uh, one fighter. I think I've made that mistake one time too many. For my bets on this one, Nick, I recommend a straight bet on Matt Schnell at plus 180, $42 to win 76 uh, I also recommend a bet on Miranda Granger. I'm kind of experimenting with a new betting style, right, where I expect one fighter to win, but I'm not sure if it's going to be by finish or decision. And so I kind of give myself a, a best-case scenario on good odds, right? So on Granger by finish, you get plus 220 odds. In other words, if you bet 100 bucks, you win $220 if that comes to fruition. Uh, so I recommend... Granger by finish at plus 220, $46 to win 102 bucks. And then Granger by decision at plus 120, $40 to win $48. So the idea there is that if she wins by decision, I end up basically evening out a profit of two bucks because I've lost 46 on her by finish, but won 48 on her by decision. If she wins by finish, then I've won $102 and lost 40. So I'm up $62. Uh, it's kind of a no-lose situation as long as Granger wins the fight. And I'm doing a very similar thing with Korean Zombie here. Zombie by decision, uh, $36 to win 101 bucks which I think really, really good odds. I think Frankie Edgar could survive to a decision even though the zombie hits so very hard. But the zombie by finish at plus 130, 28 bucks to win $36. So that essentially if he wins by finish, then I will even out on this bet and I will lose nothing because I'll win $36 and I've bet 36 on him by decision. But if he wins by decision, I will profit $101 and then I've lost the 36 bucks on him by finish, which gives me a net profit of 65 bucks. So if Granger can win by finish and Zombie can win by decision, I'm going to have a really good night. Uh, Volkan Ozdemir, plus 125, $40 to win 50 is my recommendation. I'm also going to recommend a single parlay, Haley Ella Tang at plus 110 and Kyung Ho Kang at minus 260, $26 to win 50 bucks. Nick, that'll do it with me on the betting for this event. Um, I know you don't have any bets on this one, but I will say quickly, you got a profit of probably around 40 or 50 bucks from last weekend because both of your parlays ended up hitting. You recommended a uh, parlay on Neil and Usman, 25 bucks, and then a parlay on Volkanovski and Nunez, 25 bucks. Both of those should be somewhat close to even. I'm assuming it's a profit of about $50 for you, so a good night for you. You're now only somewhere in maybe six and a half thousand dollars in debt when it comes to the betting good stuff nikolai <laughs> i know this is the last card that we have up until january nick uh next up we've got i think it's i think it's january 18th uh connor versus there's something before that isn't there i i think that one's it man i think that's the next fight coming you're right the next event is mcgregor yeah mcgregor versus cowboy you've got um uh, home Pennington, Andre Feely against Sodiq Yusuf, which is really exciting. Old old school versus new school, and Roxy Mataferi versus Macy Barber. That's a, I mean, that's going to be interesting. Uh, Maurice Green against Olenek. Um, Anthony Pettis against Carlos Carlos Diego Fejea. Nazrat uh, Hakparasat against Drew Dober. Grant Dawson against Chas Skelly. Tim Elliott against Oscar Oscarov. I'm excited for that. Uh, Brian Kelleher versus Odie Osborne. Claudia Gadea against Alexa Grasso. That's going to be a burner. And uh, Sabina Mezo against J.J. Aldrich, who I always like to watch. That is excellent. I mean, yeah, this is going to be a really, really solid card to look forward to. That's going to be it for us this week, folks. Thank you for listening in. Uh, when you have the chance, please leave us a quick review and throw me a follow on Instagram uh, at Artist. I actually update my picks, uh, update some of my betting recommendations on that. 
and that way you guys can stay tuned in. I ended up going 10 and 3 on the last event, and that was partially because I made the corrections. Good one in the books, Nick. Looking forward to seeing you next week, buddy. All right, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll be a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to uh, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>